This is games in schools and libraries. The podcast about board, card and digital games and the ways in which they can find a place in schools or at the local library. Hosting provided by the Games for Educators website www.g4ed.com Welcome to Games in Schools and Libraries. My name is Giles Pritchard. I'm a teacher at St George's Road Primary School in Shepparton, Australia. I use games in my 3-4 classroom as well as for our Games Club, our Games Day and many other purposes. You can also find me on my blog, Castle by Moonlight, at uh, .blogspot.com <laughs> or on Twitter as P. And I'm Donald Dennis. You can find me in Georgetown County, South Carolina, where I run a games and technology program at the Georgetown County Library. I also have another podcast all about board games called On Board Games. And so, and I've also got another podcast coming out with Eric, who's a co-host on On Board Games called On RPGs. And much like this one, we've recorded several episodes up front and none of them have come out yet. But uh, we hope to give kind of the role-playing games, you know, it's time in the spotlight, too, on our little production company. Sounds excellent, Don. I'm looking forward to that. Love role-playing games, so it should be a lot of fun. And speaking of role-playing games, we thought we'd follow that up a little bit with uh, this episode being about social games. Games that are all about interaction, interpersonal skills, about the players sitting around the table rather than the game sitting on the table. This episode is the first of a two-part episode that starts off talking about storytelling games and then talks about social and interacting games. Do we want to lead with role-playing games? Well, one of the things that uh, make role-playing games appealing is because the rules, well, in some ways, they're just as hard and fast as in board games. There's a lot more opportunity for the players around the table to directly interact with each other or to express their own creativity. And I'm sure we're going to get to creativity games in the future, uh, but mm-hmm. I think this time we wanted to talk mostly about games that allow for some cool interaction, social as well as language skills, uh, you know, maybe being able to read the other person's intent, that kind of stuff. And you get a lot of that in role-playing games. What kind of role-playing games are you familiar with? Well, before we jump into that, I think um, for those listeners who aren't necessarily aware of what a role-playing game is, I mean, this sort of genre of games covers a gamut, doesn't it? But at their heart, um, role-playing games are about telling a story where the players participate or are actors in that story and have uh, a lot of choices in, in, the, in the setting of the story. There's usually also um, a game master or a, a referee of sorts who manages um, some aspects of the plot and the setting and the, the characters in the world that aren't the players. And that's very important just for the aspect of because there's so many things that the players can do, they sort of need an arbiter to say, yes, this is possible, or no, this isn't possible. Uh, and so that's why there's GMs, but it's not always necessary to have a, a referee to do that. Now, the primary characteristics, like Giles says, is each person takes a role and then they are acting personally on the behalf of that role. Where, like, in if you're playing a game like Risk, uh, you're acting as an entire country, 
or when you're playing Sara, you're playing pawns that are moving around the board. And in a role-playing game, specifically, you are participating in the guise of someone else and interacting, you know, socially within that environment. It's it's almost on like the players around the table or, or sitting on the couches or whatever setting are um, collaborating in the creation of a of a. A, a story, a narrative story, or a movie, with each of the characters being one of the, or one, each of the players, sorry, being one of the characters in that movie, and acting out their part, reacting to situations as their particular character would, and so on and so forth. And this this can be done on a table with a board, um, you know, and, and little miniatures and things like that. It can also be done without without any of that, and just um, via the talk and the banter and in the imagination of the players. Right now, famously, of course. The most uh, uh, prominent role-playing game or, or most well-known role-playing game of all time is Dungeons & Dragons. We're not going to get into games that are that thick or deep in this particular episode, but there are some games that are appropriate for all settings that I think we can talk about that would be useful for libraries. Uh, for example, there's a game called Tune, which is by Steve Jackson Games, where players are enacting uh, like their favorite Warner Brothers cartoon, where one person might play the pencil with a personality, someone else might play a flower pot, uh, another person might play the Tasmanian Devil, and then, of course, you could have aliens or whatever it is that you want to play and bring into this environment. And the, the participants get to exercise a great deal of creativity, and they interact with oh, well, I'm going to do this, and well, I'm the pencil, so I'm going to rewrite the script, and you have to say X, or whatever it is. And so this is all about interaction and all about the social behavior, both between the players amongst themselves and between the players and the story. So looking at that, it's uh, Steve Jackson Games. I think it's still available. If it's not available in hard copy, it is available in PDF, I'm pretty sure. And the neat thing about a game like this is you can buy one copy and you could have as many different groups kind of playing it at once in your library. So, Don, what other role-playing games are you familiar with? And what, what of those games that you're familiar with would really be uh, suitable for a library environment or that you'd bring into a library environment? Uh, well, sort of following on our previous discussion about books and games, there's a game called Pendragon, or King Arthur Pendragon, which is all based on the Arthurian mythos. And it you know may or may not, depending on your age group, be appropriate. But if you've got a group of folks who are trying to like work their way through the Mort Arthur for a book club or you know who are reading one of the modern retellings of the King Arthur stories then this would be an excellent way for them to participate in that environment and not only does it have slaying the beasties and going out on quests and doing bold deeds but there's a lot of courtly interaction and there's the art of romantic love and you know how do you court a woman or you know, how do you win your win the heart of that, that night or whatever it is. So it's very, there's a lot of social aspect that goes along what people would think, oh, it's a sword where, or a game where a bunch of people go and beat each other up with swords. Now, you mentioned one to me. Oh, and, and the for children, there's a version of it called the Prince Valiant role-playing game, which might be hard to find because I think it's out of print. But instead of all the complicated dar dice and charts and tables and stuff, all the randomization aspects of this are just 
coin flips. So it's like you flip the coin X many times, and if you get this many heads, then you've succeeded at what it is that you're trying to do. And, of course, it's set in the, set in the world of the Prince Valiant comic strip. Okay, that sounds good, yeah. Now, you mentioned one to me called uh, Happy Birthday Robot. Why don't you give a description of that? Well, I've not played this game, Don, but it's one that I really want to um, get. Uh, I think it's going to be really, or, or will be, or would be, really suitable for a classroom. It's a collaborative story creation game, really, where... Um, the, the players each take turns in generating uh, part of the story. So you might be in a small group and each player tells a little bit or a little portion of the story. Um, so the first player might tell their portion then, the, then it moves on to the next player and the next player and the next player and the next player. And so the story grows um, through that collaborative effort. And there can be a lot of zany twists and so forth. But it's structured in such a way that it seems to me to be really approachable for a young age group. Um, and I think that as a as a um, an aid to writing or an activity to do before a creative writing session or to get kids thinking about character, plot and setting and those aspects that they need to sort of tackle when it comes to narrative writing, um, that, that it would be a really good game to help break that, some of those concepts open um, for them and to really help them engage with that concept of what a narrative is at its heart. You know, that sort of reminds me of a game by Atlas Games called Once Upon a Time where it's a card game and you're really just trying to get rid of the cards that are in your hand. Oh, it's been, it's been years since I played this. It's called once upon a time and I'm telling a story and I'm going along. And if you mention a story or if I mention a story element that matches a card in your hand, you can kind of play your card out and leap out and take over the story at that point. So it's, it's sort of a collaborative storytelling game in that aspect. And this sort of pulls us away from, the role-playing games, which is good. We don't want to live in role-playing games for this entire episode. But, no. um, you know, it, it brings in more of your traditional board game elements. But it's still one of those games that's still really steeped in the storytelling aspect. So you'll have a hand of cards that might have, for example, might have one card that's got the uh, deep dark wood on it, another card that's got the witch on it, another card that has prints, uh, another card that has trail of breadcrumbs or whatever it might happen to be. And so it might, uh, and the, the basic rule of the game is that I'm telling a story and as I do so, for every, every basically every sentence that I say, I'm allowed to play down one card. So I could say, once upon a time there was a castle in the deep dark wood. And when I've said that, play down the deep dark wood card. Um, in the highest tower of this castle there lived a witch and play down my witch card, at which point Don might play down his witch card and then proceed to tell the story from that point. And there's other rules as well if the story gets bogged down or is a little boring about how it switches between players and so forth. But as you said, Don, the idea is really to get rid of your hand of cards. Um, but while you're doing that, of course, this zany sort of story grows out of the, the playing of the cards and, and, and all of those different things that happen. Because you want to you get what's in your hand into the story. <laughs> right. Now, we played a version of this with uh, the cubes that came in Rory's Story Cubes, which mm-hmm. if you've ever played with the Rory Story Cubes, it's a bunch of dice that have just different pictures on them that are activities or items or, well, that's really it mostly, just activities or items. And you are trying to tell stories, but there's not really rules that came with these Story Cubes. And mm. so I had them on my desk as sort of a, 
uh, an executive brain toy. Not that I was an executive or anything, but you know, something to help divert me <laughs> from whatever else I was doing. And we were using them at the library for some of the kids would come in and you know they would be waiting for video games to get onto, and so we'd break these out and you know throw some dice and do some storytelling. And we sort of everybody would you'd roll your dice and you'd get your dice, and somebody would start to tell a story. And then you'd have to pick up with your die, and then the next guy would have to tell one with their die, and then you would just build one sentence after another. It was kind of like Mad Libs meets uh, Once Upon a Time using Rory Story yeah. Cubes. Uh, now I understand you've used Rory Story Cubes, but sort of in a slightly different way. Yeah, well, we've had we've actually we bought a couple of boxes of these um, for our school, um, and they the whole idea that that I've been sort of using them um, for has been. Um, to, uh, you know, what you, narrative writing is something that we cover in schools, obviously, and we try and, um, you know, break that open and talk to the kids about the different aspects that make up a narrative, the dis- different aspects that make up a, a plot, character, setting, etc. Um, but, you know, whenever we do narrative writing, if we, if we sometimes have creative writing sessions in class, um, inevitably there's um, the hand up in the air with the voice behind, <laughs> soon following. I... I can't think of anything to write about or, or whatever it might happen to be. And, and in that case, I've often said, you know, here, take three or three or four dice out of the, um, out of the Rory Story Cubes box, roll them. Um, all of these things have to be in your story somewhere. Okay, so they might roll them an aeroplane and a broomstick and a, you know, tree and an egg or something like that. No, I c- couldn't tell you exactly, but they might roll something like that. And so they've got to work all those four things into their story. And I've used them like that. I've also done a, done a similar thing where we have rolled the dice, had them up on the, the board in the classroom for everybody to see and said, now your story must include these different things. And then shared back at the end to, to have a look at the different ways that they were incorporated in the stories across the classroom. And that's a really good, um, a good activity to do, to have the kids um, think a little bit about creativity and what it means and being imaginative and listen to each other's work is, is a really important thing. But, yeah, Rory Story Cubes are a fantastic little resource. I think there's, is there six or nine dice? Every face of them is a different picture? Uh, there's, right, there's nine six-sided dice and there's two or three different sets. There's the standard yep. set and there's the action set and... I understand there's a third set out yet that I don't have yet, but they're in okay. itty-bitty book boxes. They look like books, and they're about the size of a deck of cards. Uh, mm. And so you might have to look you know, look around for them. The Freckled Frog here in Polly's Island has them, and that's where I got my copies was from them. So Yeah, no, it's a, I, I think they're a really good um, little thing to have in the classroom, you know, really fun. It's that, that whole idea of telling a story can be... Um, you know, you can collectively do an aspect of that where, where you have a group of kids writing a story and they each have one of the dice um, and they've got to work their, their particular aspect in the story. I mean, there's just, you know, there's so many things you could do with a tool like that um, in the classroom. They're, they're, it's just a fantastic resource, well worth looking up. And I think it'd be very interesting to hear, here's three cubes, we've rolled them, here are the elements, and then what did 10 or 15 different children, what stories did they make up? And then let them each see, well... Here's the different kinds of stories that other people told. So it's a point of view thing. You're not only using it as a way for them to express themselves, but to sort of understand how everyone's different or, you know, here's how other people use the same resources to do something. You know, you've got a lot of little things that you can do with these dice. 
So it's almost like we're doing a review for them. It is, yeah, it is. But, I mean, they are such a fantastic little resource. And, you know, anything like that, there's just so much you can do with them. Now, Dom, we've talked a lot about um, Rory Story Cubes. We've talked a little bit about um, Once Upon a Time and those other games. Um, now, there's a different type of storytelling game um, that we could talk about, and this is the type of storytelling that comes out of a book. Um, I'm thinking particularly of one game, um, Tales of the Arabian Nights, where uh, players are all characters from the um, 1001 um, Arabian Nights books or, or stories, um, and they travel around the, the world, um, Arabia and Asia, Africa and, and Europe, uh, and in so doing, uh, have different encounters. The encounters are rolled on dice. You then reference those um, various things to, to chapters in the book, which, or, which will give you, um, basically, you choose how you want to react to something, and then that will tell you, then the, out, the book will tell you the outcome of um, that particular encounter. So you might move to a place, encounter a lion, you might choose to react to the lion in a certain way by running away or hiding or threatening it or attacking it or whatever else. And based on your particular choice, then you are referred to a, a particular page in the Book of Tales, and that that particular page will have a paragraph relating to your particular encounter and your particular reaction, and that will tell you what happens, good or bad. <laughs> so, Tales of the Arabian Nights, have you, have you played it? Yeah, I, I've owned several copies of it. In fact, uh, you know, I don't have the new version out from Z-Man Games, but it's, it's very interesting because it takes forever to play if you're going to play all the way through and do the full points version. And the more people that you have participating, the longer it's going to take to play. So if you've got the opportunity to play with just two or three players, it's a lot of fun and it goes pretty quickly. But mm. there's a set arbitrary number of this is how many points and it's the end of the game. And Eric and I just talked about it on a recent episode of On Board Games. What he does is he simply says, well, we're going to lower the number of points needed to end the game. And then that all of a sudden, it's a much faster game experience. And I've suggested also at the beginning, you build your character with skill points. And now this is, it sounds like a simple game to get into. There's a lot of pieces in this game. And mm -hmm. there's a lot of character development that happens and a lot of character setup that happens when you're choosing, oh, I'm going to be Aladdin or I'm going to be Shahrazad or I'm going to be any of these different characters. I don't even remember what the characters are. It's been a while since I've played. Roof is another. But uh, you've got an option for a wide variety. And during this game, you've got to be ready to deal with things like, oh, I've done this, and now all of a sudden I was a boy, and now I'm a girl. And, you know, it's it's going to get some tittering and some laughter from the, from the kids in the class or from your younger mm -hmm. children who are playing with it. But you can address these things and it doesn't have to be a big deal. I mean, after all, when I was a kid, we saw Bugs Bunny cross-dressing all the time. Uh, <laughs> so it's, it's, it's not, it doesn't have to be a huge deal. Now, some other activities you can do with this game is instead of having everybody play their own game at story time, you can have a vote. It's like, all right, well, this person is going to, he's encountered a genie. Is he going to, uh, yell at the genie or is he going to grovel before the genie or is he going to you know try and bribe the genie with something or whatever the options are that they can interact and then all the kids say all right who wants this everybody raise your hand and then 
it's a cooperative storytelling thing so that everybody gets to sort of participate and you're telling one story as it goes. And if you've got a library activity such as story time, you could do this and keep the same character every week, play four or five decisions instead of going through the whole game. And then when the children come back the next week, they're all excited about, oh, what is it going to happen today? And it's like a cartoon show or a television show that they're getting to be a part of and make the decisions for. And that's a very exciting activity that I've heard other people talk about that they've done. And that if I was working with that age of kids, I can't exactly sit down with some 18 year old kids and say, Hey, we're going to do this. It wouldn't probably be as entertaining to them. Um, (laughs) But that's, that's an activity that I would love to hear some feedback on if anybody's done that. Wow. Yeah. That's something I had not even considered. And now I am, seriously wanting to take my copy of Tales of the Arabian Nights in school tomorrow. Um, oh, look, it, it is a really, really fun storytelling game. And I guess, like um, a lot of the games that we've talked about in this episode, it is, it's an experience more than it is a game. And I think if you go into any of these games with the idea that there's going to be a winner at the end of it, um, and that that's the point of playing, then you're bound to be dis- bound to be disappointed because that's not what these games are really about. They're all about the experience and the story. Um, and Tales of the Arabian Nights is a real um, poster child for that. I know that there's a lot of discussion in different places online about whether it even qualifies as a game because there's not a lot of choices and so forth. You know, I, I'm not interested in any of that. It's it's a lot of fun. Um, to sit down with a group of friends and to to play through this game. And Don, what you just described there with the with the going through one story, that that's a really cool idea. I'm going to give that a go. Well, and Rory's Story Cubes isn't a game either, but it doesn't mm. matter. I think when we're talking games, we're talking about you know an activity with structure. Yep. I mean, I would love games to always mean competing, or you know, there's there's trying to be a victor and you know, you're trying to dominate against other players, but that's not what a game always is these days. And games yep. have become much more a form of engagement as opposed to, you know, an actual competition. And uh, that's okay, I guess. Now, uh, looking at other game-like activities, though, the one that appeals specifically to our librarian roots is there's a thing called Choose Your Own Adventure Books. And are, are you familiar with these? Yeah, absolutely. I love the Choose Your Own Adventure books. When I was a kid, I think I probably had, well, more of them than I should have. And the whole premise is you read a page or half a page or three pages, and at the end of that, there's a choice. And you say, oh, well, I want to attack or I want to run away. Kind of the same kind of choices you would make in this Tales of the Arabian Nights game. And then you flip to the page that it says, and you read that. Now, this is obviously not a social game, but it is very much the storytelling game. And you could do the same thing with a group of kids sitting in front of you, especially if you have children who are just slightly too young to read the Choose Your Own Adventure books, but are not too immature to uh, make the decisions or understand what's going on. That is a great way to get them excited and interested in these kind of games. When I was playing uh, with my son, you know, before he was, you know, real excited about reading, uh, you know, we'd do this or, you know, maybe on a road trip. You know, the whole family would talk about, well, here's what we're going to do, or here's where we're going to go. And, you know, it was very, very engaging in such a way that it could be a social activity as well as a storytelling activity. Yeah, no, it sounds sounds great. Yeah, I've got fond memories of reading through those Choose Your Own Adventure books, and I'm 
I've been very happy to note that there's a collection of kids in my class at the moment that are chewing through the library collection of um, Choose Your Own Adventure books as well, being there having a great time with those, which is um, great to see. Now, when we're talking about storytelling games, there are a lot of games that have some kind of story. In the uh, hobby games hobby, there are things called adventure games, which are uh, hallmarked by, like, Talisman or... Hero Quest was an old one. Return of the Heroes. Well, no, Hero Quest is a completely different kind of game. Mm-hmm. Uh, Prophecy, these are ones where you've got a character and you're kind of going around the world and you're encountering things in the world. And, you know, uh, most of these, while they're oh, interesting, yeah. they, they don't have the, the elements of the story that you were talking about early. So you don't have the origin or the build-up or the plot or the, you know, what's happening. But there are some, like Return of the Heroes, where your guy has a specific quest that he's trying to do, or Prophecy, where there are specific bad guys at the end of the game that you can encounter, which all sort of make it feel like you're ramping up to tell that story. Now, the problem is is that in most of these environments, uh, these games are horribly long, and they take you know, hours to play sometimes, but you know, it's, it's rare that you could fit them in, in the 45 minute time block, which is someone's attention span in the library or, or the amount of time you have for a class or subject at the school. So just because it sounds like it is a useful game, you really kind of have to be careful how you pick out these stories to tell the stories because there's, you know, a game called Arkham horror, which I think we've mentioned before in, in the last episode, which is all about, um, you know, reenacting Lovecraft books. And there's a story, you know, stories that are told from that. But this is, it takes almost an hour to set up the game. Yeah. And, you know, you get to the point where you've played it and you're five hours into it, and it's just not suitable for our environments. Actually, speaking of Cthulhu, I know you're a big fan of the um, HP, uh, HP Lovecraft books um, and Tales of the Arabian Nights. I have heard rumours that uh, Z-Man Games is working on a Cthulhu-themed Tales of the Arabian Nights game. So, very exciting if you're a fan of both of those things. Ooh, that's a, that's, I hadn't heard that. Actually, Don, you're going back to your adventure games topic. There is one um, that was published just recently. I haven't played it, but it's called Quest of Time of Heroes. That's also by um, Z-Man Games. And that seems to me to cross that genre a little bit. There's a bit of choose your, there's a bit of that sort of choose your own adventure aspect that you get from uh, Tales of the Arabian Nights. There's a little bit also of the adventure game. I, I still think you're probably right on the money, though. It would be a game that would take too long, really, for a library setting or for a school setting. But there's one. I mean, any time you come up with a with a, a, a description of a genre or a grouping, you know, you're, there's always going to be games that that <laughs> come along and break those molds. But I think Quest: A Time of Heroes is one that sits on the borderline between the sort of paragraph game or the, the story game we were talking about before and this adventure game genre that, that you were just talking about then. Nice. Well, I think that, uh, Giles, we've got a lot more to talk about and enough that we could probably fill another whole episode if we're going to get back to our social games. So yep. why don't we talk about so the rest of the social games next time and, and wrap this one up. No, that sounds good. We'll close the final chapter. <laughs> our story ends with our heroes venturing off into the wilds of the internet. Riding off into the sunset. No, no, that's next episode. <laughs>
This has been Games in Schools and Libraries. Now, if you've got any great ideas of different ways in which you've used uh, storytelling games in your library or classroom, or if you've got any uh, great examples of uh, storytelling games that we haven't talked about and we should know about, then please do contact us. We love feedback at uh, schoolsandlibraries at gmail.com. That's all lowercase. And until next time, this is Giles Pritchard. And Donald Dennis for Games in Schools and Libraries. Games in Schools and Libraries is kindly hosted by the Games for Educators website. You can find them at www.g4ed.com. You can subscribe to their newsletter, check out games through their game finder, and of course, it's the home of the Games in Schools and Libraries podcast. Drop by and post comments on the episodes. We love feedback. Games in Schools and Libraries is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. To view a copy of this license, visit our webpage at the Games for Educators website.